This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk The Matrix, provide some in-depth analysis of cartoon fighting games, Venom 2 gets undelayed, and more. Stay tuned for another blue-pilled episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and this killing machine was designed for only one thing. I'm Jason Simmons, and fasten your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. I'm Jordan Walkup, and in my hands, there are two pills. If you take the red pill, you'll enjoy this episode of TBM. If you take the blue pill, maybe it's the red pill you won't enjoy it. And the blue pill. Just take both. It'll be fine. Take two and call us back after an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we're going back to 1999. An important year for Y2K and... Fight Club. There we go. Uh... Um... I was only five years old, so I don't remember much of it. Um, I don't think anything happened in 1999, like anything at all. But it did give us one of the most important movies of the last, I I don't know, bare minimum last 21 years, uh, The Matrix. Now, if you're unfamiliar, which you're not, everybody knows what The Matrix is, It is a movie directed by Lana Wachowski and Lily Wachowski and stars Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, and Hugo Weaving? Yeah. I didn't even piece together that that's who that was. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, It uh, currently, because, you know, you're looking for the reviews these days, uh, has... An 88% audience rating and an 85% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And at the time, grossed $465 million, which was a pretty astronomical number for the time. Now, the story of Matrix is where people start to get just a little bit lost. Because even though I think everyone knows what it is, not a whole lot of people completely understand what they're looking at. More because a lot of people only passively watch this movie because, like, one person in their life was just way too into it back in the day. But, uh, basically, you got a hacker named Thomas Anderson, better known as Neo on the interwebs. He's looking for this guy named Morpheus, who he's just, like, vaguely heard about and knows is important, but doesn't really know anything about him. Well, turns out, Morpheus is also looking for him. And, uh... As soon as Morpheus contacts him, a group of angry men in suits start chasing Neo. Morpheus helps Neo escape the men in suits and tells Neo that basically the whole world is not what it seems and that they are actually inside a computer simulation where their meat bodies are being used as batteries by their evil robot overlords, 
which is the most 90s thing physically imaginable. The the battery thing, I believe, is somewhat disputed. It's what Morpheus says, but I think a lot of people try to be like, Morpheus doesn't actually know what he's talking about, really, in this case. I've heard a more compelling argument that they were being used as, like, processors. And I always thought that was a more compelling reason. The process what? Like, computer processors. Like, the brains being used to increase their processing power. Ah. Basically, even as good as the robot AI is, it still wouldn't necessarily have creative functions to build upon what they have so it actually it it makes sense that like humans had a little more complicated role in this but basic basically humans are being held uh their their physical bodies are being held hostage by the robots and their minds have been put into a simulation called the matrix Uh, morpheus helps neo to escape the matrix and basically recruits Neo to help them take down the Matrix and save all the humans that are currently trapped inside of it. Um, you know, I don't think it's it's super, super important we go as deep in our review as we've done with other movies that uh, the whole world hasn't already seen. But uh, real quick, what'd you guys think? <laughs> I mean, I like The Matrix, the first one especially. Um it's pretty good. I mean, the action scenes are, you know, amazing. <laughs> Redefined yeah. cinema. I mean, at this point, they probably seem a little bit played out. But at the time, completely revolutionary. For American cinema, at least. It's fun to watch. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. <laughs> now, I was only five years old when this came out. <laughs> Jason was one. Uh, Jackson was not born yet. So Jackson being the one that was most recently exposed to the matrix, I'm especially interested to hear what you have to say. I mean, I, I liked it. Uh, I feel like, cause a lot of what I've heard is how it, you know, kind of redefined like action and cinema and stuff. So a lot of that's lost on me since I watched like most of the MCU before I ever watched this. But the stuff that was inspired by it before he's, what inspired he's it. He's lived his yeah. whole life in a post-Matrix world. <laughs> he true. lived his whole life in a post-Matrix sequel world. I haven't even <laughs> seen the sequels. His entire life has been in a time where people were already kind of fed up with the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty good. All the stuff that really like isn't is just products of a time like not so great cgi because it was the 90s <laughs> but that doesn't show up too often so it's not really a problem it shows up a lot and, more and, than you think it's just it's yeah, cleverly maybe the cgi just is better than i think it was <laughs> they they were smart because most of the foregrounds are practical effects it's just sort of what's going on around them that cgi a lot of the time so even though there's a lot of scenes, especially outside of the Matrix, which are like heavy, heavy CGI, all of the action is practical effects and is very centered. Right. So like, I don't think you really notice a ton of it, even though it's 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 plentiful. Plus, it's yeah. got um, that strong green filter over it, and then on the <laughs> other hand, you also you also know that it's inside of a computer. So most of the CGI, you'll just be like, oh, that's the Matrix, I guess. <laughs> I think the only thing that looks really bad is like when the ship is moving through the sewer tunnels and when you when you yeah. see the monster or the the machines the sentinels yeah, yeah those things look real rough 
yeah. Other than that, in like the real world, considering most stuff is CGI, except like uh, I'd say a good bit of the set for the inside of the ship, a lot of that CGI is not really noticeable because it all blends together. I think for me, I mean, like I, I love this movie. It's ridiculous. It, it it never inspired me to watch the sequels. I'm I'm still yet to see them. I have read extensively about them because I didn't want to, but uh, I I really <laughs> I love this movie. And I've been I've been talking to some friends about this, and uh, I, I've jokingly said a couple of times that my favorite parts of the Matrix are the bad parts, and it's sort of a joke, but it's also sort of true because what I love about this movie isn't the fact that it's this really deep and complex lore and a really fascinating concept that's driving basically the the entire series. It's the fact that. It is this very serious and sort of raw story, but it's undercut by just, like, over-the-top action scenes and the weirdest sense of humor imaginable for this type of movie and just some very strange stylistic decisions that I, I don't understand even from a 90s property. Like, everything about this movie is just weird. Like, incredibly weird. I think some of that weirdness is kind of intentional. Oh, absolutely. I think it's kind of interesting, like, the world that the Matrix is. <laughs> I, I guess that's the right way to say that. Yeah, I guess. Like, when they're in the Matrix, it's it's based primarily on 1999. But it's like, um, it's kind of similar to what they do in The Incredibles. <laughs> where they pull, like, a lot of different things from different time periods and just kind of throw them all together. And it creates a world that doesn't really seem like it's particularly locked in any one time. Like, the only big thing that I think really shows off that it's 1999 in The Matrix is uh, all the all the monitors are CRTs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then, like, if you look at the cars on the streets, a lot of them are, like, older. much older than the 90s. Yeah. And not just in the way that, like, people drive their cars for longer than a decade. It's like, you're seeing cars from, like, the 60s, 70s. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I think there was sort of an intentional decision that the Matrix wasn't going to look like a singular point in time, which makes sense when you consider the the absolute scale of people that are inside of it. And there's also, I mean, there's some, I mean, there's several implications that the Matrix does change over time. Like it's not always a fixed point or anything like that. Um, but well, even beyond, yeah. I know you haven't seen the sequels. They explain in the sequels that, like, the Matrix wasn't always just based on 1999. Like, they they changed it a lot, and sometimes people would realize that. I, I think Hugo Weaving, like Agent Smith, goes into this a little bit when he's interrogating Morpheus. It's they tried different things. They had at one point like a paradise, but the people wouldn't accept it. So I I think that the things that they kept from like 1999 is supposed to be, you know, what people are most willing to accept. So everything's kind of simple and mundane when they're in the Matrix in a lot of ways. One of the most important things about the Matrix and why it sort of stood the test of time was just the way that it handled fighting and combat and action scenes was totally unheard of for the time. It took inspirations from things you wouldn't imagine going into a, a big-budget American movie. 
Jason, you you know a little bit more about this than I do, so I'll let you talk about that a, a little bit. Yeah, both the Wachowskis and the uh, producer Joel Silver, they really wanted to kind of bring in some stuff from kung fu movies, uh, like a lot of stuff from Asian cinema. And a big part of that was the extended fight scenes, where it's like one really long choreographed fight scene instead of you know, just a million takes of punches kind of being uh, cut together. So they had like six months where the actors and the stunt coordinators and the stunt actors were all kind of working together to kind of plan out how all the fight scenes in the movie were going to look. And this was unheard of at the time. Like nowadays, you just kind of expect it. But in 1999, like this was revolutionary. And that's why the fight scenes are so much more complicated than what you would see in other movies from the 90s and especially before. Like my big example that I always think of is Indiana Jones. Whenever you're seeing a fight scene with him, it's just right hook to the face (laughs) over and over again. And everybody's doing it. There's nothing particularly interesting happening. But with The Matrix, you see these long, drawn-out fight scenes like... The one that Neo and Morpheus have really early in the movie, where almost all of that was actually Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves doing that. It's also a pretty wild shift in sort of the, I don't even know how to describe it, the nature of the relationship that an actor has with the movies they are in. Because having to set aside six months for a project, for training, and then a few months to record and press and like everything even after the movie's made it like that's so much time an actor has to dedicate to one project and that was something that wasn't common at the time at all like we see it now with like the MCU i mean robert downey junior was basically working on something with iron man in it for like 10 years straight and he made very few other appearances in movies and when he did they were generally either minor roles or were like fairly you know sim- simple like indie movies and things like that so and like you gotta think on top of that robert downey jr is doing like the least actual stunts of the avengers next yeah. to mark ruffalo yeah. he's yeah. definitely doing the least stunts but <laughs> yeah but like this was sort of an idea i think you kind of saw a shift here where an actor was kind of becoming their character as their job. Like, there was a stretch there where Keanu Reeves was not an actor. He was the Neo actor. <laughs> and, like, that continued on for a while. And I think he's kind of in a similar thing with John Wick now. Like, he's definitely made other appearances. But for the last several years, he has just been synonymous with John Wick and nothing else. Yeah, I don't even necessarily think Keanu Reeves is... what well, I'm not even going to say necessarily... I don't think that Keanu Reeves is even a very good actor, (laughs) but I think that he's just kind of gotten these really iconic roles to the point where, like, he's super recognizable just for playing that role. And, like, it's not not a slight on him. Like, it's not that I think he's a bad actor. I've just never really seen him have to do any... He's pretty bad. (laughs) He's really good at stunt work, but Mm -hmm. he's he's not a great actor. This is straight up the only movie I've seen him in. I have, I mean, I've seen him in several things, but most movies were pretty, like, there weren't movies with a lot of emotional range, I guess we could say. <laughs> now, 
I don't even really know how to wade into this conversation, but I, I don't think you can talk about the Matrix without sort of getting into the philosophy of the Matrix and what kind of inspired it. <laughs> and uh, I, I want to pose this as a question to the two of you. You know, people have been sort of half-jokingly saying we're in the Matrix for, you know, the better part of two decades now. And uh, I just want you guys to think on it for a minute. If they're right, and we are in the Matrix, should we be trying to get out? <laughs> Was well, if, Morpheus really the good guy, I guess hmm. is what I'm asking. <laughs> if we're in the Matrix, that means everything bad that happens, we'll get a second shot <laughs> outside of the <laughs> Matrix. <laughs> so if maybe we'll Matrix. make better decisions. <laughs> if we're in the Matrix, we're kind of just absolved <laughs> of all of our faults and any guilt that would have came with that. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, I'm not smart enough that it matters. Like, even if we are in a simulation, I'm not I'm not anywhere near intelligent enough to even start putting together what getting out of it would even look like. And there's these people that have claimed that they have, like, figured out ways to test if we're in a simulation. But, like, how would there not just be simulated test results, too? <laughs> like, uh, it's funny to me that people have... Because, like, this movie has a lot of really, like, really important ideas. And just, are we or are we not living in a simulation? It's not one of them. <laughs> it's just the most interesting idea that it brings up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it, it actually has some really smart ideas about what it, you know, what consciousness is what our environments mean about who we are and how we interact with them. I think it takes a lot of inspiration from the allegory of the cave where, like, you know, enlightenment isn't inherently good. It's just that you can understand things other people can't. And I, I don't know. I just It makes you think in a, in a sort of weird way, which is funny when you pair it with like the scene where he jumps off a building and goes looney tune style through a street it's all in a computer it's fine you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's yeah no i mean it's definitely interesting i i think the allegory of the cave is a big thing here i mean it really raises some interesting questions because the people in the matrix are being used yeah i i mean like they are for all intents and purposes like slaves um yeah. Inside of the Matrix, though, they're living extremely mundane lives. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm sure some people in the Matrix are, like, genuinely happy, maybe? <laughs> they, like there's it's... people in the Matrix that are definitely, like, well-off and happy. You see yeah. that part of the Matrix more in the sequels. I, I think the first one, there was a bigger focus on just showing the mundane parts. Which makes sense, like, thematically. Yeah, like, the most colorful and interesting thing you see in The Matrix is a woman in a dress. <laughs> like, <laughs> everything else is just these really, like, bland, muted colors, and everything's kind of gray with a green filter over it. <laughs> Jackson, what are some of the, the standout scenes in your mind? Particularly of the action scenes, at least. The... Uh, the lobby scene was really interesting to watch. And then uh, also the scene where Neo manages to figure out how to see the Matrix. 
That one was also really cool. Oh, you mean at the end when he realizes that he is the one because he believes he is? <laughs> that reminds me of that just that just awful scene. Uh, is is it Cipher? Is that the one that betrays them? Yeah. Yeah, so Neo goes up to him, like, at night when everyone else is asleep. This is, like, halfway to the movie. And uh, Cypher is looking at three screens of Matrix code. And uh, Neo's like, hey, what you looking at? And he's just like, some babes. <laughs> and uh, and I just find that, that concept really funny. Uh, Jason, I want your perspective on this. As someone that, uh, you know, has done some coding and stuff... Uh, do you like look at ones and zeros and your brain is just like, ah, oh, yes, this is like the fin, like you can just see the finished product. Like, is that a real thing? <laughs> uh, no. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. There are people that can write an assembly code and it's basically, it, it means nothing to me. Hmm. There's these like lower level languages, you know, the stuff that's like closer to what the computer sees and if you don't understand them, then it's all just gibberish. Uh, I will point out in that scene in particular, he's I'm I've always interpreted it as him lying. Could, I'm pretty yeah. sure what's happening in that scene is the he's communicating with yeah Hugo he's talking Weaving. to the agents. <laughs> yeah, mm. I'm exclusively calling him Hugo Weaving from now on. <laughs> I did not even piece together that that's who that was. Dude, he's the standout. Like star oh, yeah. this movie for me. It, all yeah. the best scenes in the movie have Hugo Weaving in them, and usually <laughs> yeah. it's him talking that makes the scene so good. Yeah, his his acting as Agent Smith was wonderful. Yeah, it, I think um, the scene where he's both of the interrogation scenes he does, the one with Neo in the police precinct or whatever, and the one with Morpheus are just incredible. Like yeah. the way that he has like this thinly veiled anger and hatred whereas all the other agents are just like blank slates yeah yeah it's it's really well done especially in the scene (laughs) the the whole thing where he's interrogating morpheus and just talking about how much he hates humans like that scene is incredible yeah it is wild how this movie does have some scenes like that which are genuinely well written well acted have an impactful message and it's in a movie that is this, like, this... And it's in this movie. Well, yeah, just in general. It's in a it's movie in where it's implied that love brings Neo back from the dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Oh. Let, let's talk about that. Uh, <laughs> so, I think that every movie needs a, a little bit of just, like, that campy, cheesy, cliche nonsense... Like, I, I think there's got to be something that makes you, like, kind of groan a little bit. Because you're, you want to have these heroic characters that follow their ideals way beyond what any human traditionally would. Um, so you end up with some real rough one-liners sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I think a big part of those scenes is grounding. It's like you have this larger-than-life character... So you just have a scene where they do or say something just so incredibly awkward that you're like, oh, this character's somewhat believable again. <laughs> it's like you've taken it too far. It's it's also funny, like I was I was talking to Jackson about this while we were watching the movie, actually. 
So you have this scene with the with Morpheus and the the two pills, and it's it's funny to me that the internet decided that's a really important and iconic scene that we're going to apply to a lot of other circumstances instead of like a really dumb and laughably bad scene in a movie that it doesn't really make a ton of sense in because like it could go either way in my mind <laughs> like that scene just thinking about what is actually happening there and the way it's all being presented is just incredibly funny to me and I, I don't know why. Like, it doesn't seem indicative of Morpheus or Neo or how the world works at all, but I'm, I'm into it either way. I mean, it's a big part of the, you know, we mentioned the allegory of the cave. I mean, that's freeing yourself from the shackles, right? I, I know, but it's just like the way he talks about it and the symbolism of it and like the the fact that it's portrayed as, as pills is, I just I just think it's very funny and very weird and... I, I could have I could definitely see the public opinion of that being the total opposite where that scene is just sort of a laughing stock <laughs> if it wasn't like exactly when it was released. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there might be that might be one of the places where you kind of see the symbolism of like transgender or coming out as a transgender person kind of shining through. Oh yeah, absolutely. This constant play on this idea that this place, you know, that you're going to isn't inherently better, but it's real. Like, there are complications, and there are going to be serious difficulties for you ahead, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't embrace what is real and what you know to be true. And I think that there's a lot of really smart ideas about that that people would have never thought to apply to transgender issues in the year 1999 because realistically a lot of people didn't have a concept of the word transgender until several years ago in that scene it's kind of him deciding like am i ready to leave behind everything i've ever experienced in my life and kind of go towards something new even though I have the safety net of just staying here and not having to worry about it ever again. I don't know. I don't I didn't think that much about the pills. It's more just the choice. Oh yeah, and absolutely. And I think the choice is, a, is an incredibly important part of the story. I just thought the way it was kind of presented seemed out of character. I I wanted to find the specific line that made me think that and I think it's uh you take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Like, something about that just seems super unauthentic based on Morpheus's character. And also, uh, his choice was super anticlimactic. He, like, holds out the pills, it cuts to Keanu Reeves, and, like, a millisecond later, he already has the red pill and is putting it in his mouth. Like, it was not... It was a non-decision for him. So, Neo-Jesus. <laughs> uh... Neo being Jesus is an interesting <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's a heck of a swing. My friend Ruth told me the first time that she saw this movie was it like in a church youth group. <laughs> and they watched it because you know, it's like Jesus is like this. <laughs> and it's like first off, Jesus didn't get to make the decisions for one. I think a whole part a whole big thing about the Matrix is like Neo wasn't necessarily born the one. Like, Neo chooses to be the one. 
And I think, like, his choice is a really big part of his character, is, like, everything he does in the movie is something that he decides to do. And they try to show that with the the Oracle, you know, because when he goes to the Oracle, she's talking in riddles the whole time and straight up tells him, like, he's not the one. And he leaves thinking he's not the one, and Morpheus even at this point knows. He's just like, I don't really care what she said. I think that's one of the most important scenes in the whole movie, in my opinion, was just the fact that Morpheus was clearly betting a lot on Neo being the one, uh, the, and knew, like, was confident that the Oracle was going to agree. But when she said that's not the case, Morpheus still was, like, he had a lot of faith in Neo at this point and, like, knew that this was something significant. And I just, I thought that was a really, a, a really interesting take for the characters. And it would have offered, like, a really easy redemption arc for Neo to come. And they didn't take the, sort of, the low-hanging fruit on that, which I thought was interesting. Neo was a criminal in the beginning. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's selling computer components. I didn't really, un- I don't understand that scene. When Choi and the other, like, drug addicts or whatever come by his place and he's selling computer parts to them. Like, I don't get that. <laughs> are they? Are the computer parts drugs? <laughs> I also always think it's interesting during that scene, when he's taking the money from Choi, he keeps the door locked and just, like, takes the money through the slit. Yeah. Uh, but when he's giving him the computer parts, he opens the door all the way up. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> well that was nothing yeah it's like you didn't protect yourself what if he just wanted to pay you for this and then he was just gonna come in and take the rest it's just people uh i will say much like the bible people kind of get whatever they want out of the matrix <laughs> i mean i have seen people on both sides of the vaccine debate using matrix basically propaganda at very least matrix iconography to support their views and uh i don't know that there's really a lot to glean from the matrix about vaccines i mean if anything i guess it would be pro but i i don't i don't know what anyone is saying about it i would say the matrix is through and through uh, about choice so it doesn't really have any strong opinions on anything except for <laughs> well it's hard to say that it obviously wants you to take what is right and what is real over what's presented to you. Yeah. But I don't think it necessarily says anything about your choice once you've accepted it. I won't say that it's like progressive ideals at all, but like Matrix ideology is definitely not conservative. Like, absolutely not that. <laughs> You're telling me this movie made by two trans people about, like, the struggles and (laughs) process of coming out as a trans person, or at least accepting that you are trans, might not be right-wing ideology? (laughs) Well, it's funny how people really like to uh, get into online debates about how the transgender uh, ideology was added recently. But the Christian ideology was there from the beginning. (laughs) And even the directors are like, no, no. (laughs) And uh, that still isn't good enough for people. Because they would sooner just believe that these two people have just become woke SJWs. And not that they were already pretty progressive from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine? 
how would they put their ideology in the movie? It's not like they wrote it. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. They did. It's written and directed by the Wachowskis. Well, they didn't produce it, and you know the producer has the... <laughs> yeah. Dude, I think... Honestly, I think Joel Silver... This might be one of the good one of the times that I hear about a producer, and I'm like, wow, he made this movie better. <laughs> yeah. Now, again, I have not seen Matrix two or three, um, or the Animatrix, or played either of the video games. <laughs> um, Wait, there's two? Well, there was like one. There's more than two. Oh. There's like four. Interesting. Yeah, but um, two of them don't matter. Yeah. One of them's Path of Neo, which doesn't really matter. And then there's the MMO, which does matter. Completely canon. <laughs> but uh, all that considered, I I genuinely don't know what to expect for this new movie coming next year. Like, I... This year? Oh, yeah, what, whatever. It's coming soon. <laughs> like, I have a hard time picturing what a movie like this will look like today. Like, obviously, better CGI, but so like so much of modern cinematography has been adapted to be like the matrix that i don't know what would make it special now i think it's more just returning to the world is the idea that they're hoping will make it special i mean there's a lot of stories that they can tell with the matrix considering they say in the movie that there's like well, in the sequels, they say there's like hundreds of years of stuff that's been going on in the Matrix. Like, there are several the ones. Yeah. <laughs> there's all the stuff that's happening in Zion, which you don't even see in this movie. There is there is a lot of lore here that I've read way too much of the last couple of days in preparation for this. And it is interesting how, one, how far they've gone with this. But two, how much of it is tied up in these side projects that most people will not experience. I mean, you literally cannot go back and get the full experience of the Matrix MMO at this point in time. And it's canon. Yeah, I mean, it's more... It was a lot of fetch quests. I mean, oh, yeah, and it wasn't... <laughs> it was like a... It was an early MMO in terms of, you know, what we kind of expect now. So, really, you just kind of need, like, the cliff notes... Yeah, and really, it's it really seems like the only significant event in the whole thing was Morpheus's whole deal, <laughs> but but even then, I I genuinely don't know. I mean, they could just in this new movie, they could be like, oh yeah, and and Morpheus died, a guy uh, jumped out of a window and shot him or something. <laughs> I think um, it's kind of hard to talk about the Matrix and what's going to happen in the sequel without really getting into the sequels to The Matrix. Hmm. I think we should definitely find a time to do an episode. Or at least, at the very least, we need to watch them all before. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely planning to watch 2 and 3 before 4, but probably would be interesting to do an episode on them. I think 2 and 3, they're not as good as the original, but they're they're both very good still. Their biggest issue was... For some reason, they decided to release both of them five months apart. Yeah. Why? (laughs) Year of the Matrix. What? Year of the Matrix. What's the year of the Matrix? 2003. Why is that the year of the Matrix? 
Because it's the year of the Matrix. I don't get it. It is Well, they released two Matrix movies that year. And I think the one of the games. So they... Oh, and the Animatrix. It did. It was not. They were not released because it was the year of the Matrix. They were released ah, making them it being the year really... of the Matrix. Ah. Um, but uh, year of the Matrix. But it is funny looking at sort of the the real roller coaster that this series went on financially because first Matrix made four hundred sixty five million at the box office, which was a staggering number at the time. I mean, there were there were movies that had beaten that for sure. But they were few and far between, and they weren't this type of movie. The sequel went so far beyond that, made three quarters of, of, of a billion dollars. And then by the third one, you could kind of see a shift, because it made even less money than the first one did. And that is not the norm for movies in general. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's because a lot of it was fatigue. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. You can't release a but, sequel. But uh, another big part of it... The Matrix Reloaded started introducing weird stuff. Their characters... I won't go too far into it, but... The Matrix Reloaded, one of the things that they add to the lore... Is that, at one point, the Matrix was, like... Transylvania-themed. With, like, ghosts and monsters and stuff like that. Uh, and there are two guys that are ghosts in the in the movie. <laughs> what? <laughs> They're ghosts. I can't say that word properly, but you know what I'm saying. They're they're hmm. they're monsters, and like the people that were powerful in previous iterations or the the processes, whatever. It's mostly the machines, like inside of the Matrix. The ones that are like super powerful can kind of go between when they reset the Matrix and make a new one. They can come th- forward to the new one. That's how they kind of explain it. I, I think there's some vampires. There's a whole thing in Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> but, like, you wouldn't expect that from watching the first Matrix movie. <laughs> and I don't think that many people really wanted it. <laughs> and I think that's part of the reason that the third one didn't do as well. Other than just the obvious fatigue. That's a, a lot of Matrix talk, <laughs> and like it's it's a wild movie. We could we could go so much longer. It's probably already too long for some people's taste, but I I genuinely would recommend this movie to just about anyone. Again, just sort of for the weirdness of it. Like I think a lot of people want to pretend it's this really trippy and hard to follow movie, and just the first movie itself really isn't like it's weird don't get me wrong but it's not like like you can keep up with it in 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 any context really i i don't really know what i would say are the quote-unquote pros or cons about this movie but like it's still a solid movie good really good action some genuinely funny moments i i mean a story that I'm still kind of getting my head wrapped around in its entirety. I mean, it, it's good stuff, y'all. It's I would give it an eight out of ten, even if this movie were released like this today. Yeah, I think I pretty much have the same to say. <laughs> I would also give it an eight out of ten. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really good. I mean, it literally redefined cinema in a lot of ways, especially with 
the fight scenes, the choreography. I mean, we didn't even mention, like, bullet time, which, <laughs> you know, got... It was so popular in The Matrix that it was just completely overused to the point where it's kind of a meme at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if you put bullet time in your, time in your movies at this point, people are going to be a little confused and probably laugh about it. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, it was revolutionary. I mean... I don't think there were any movies beforehand that really used it. The way that they used... They did a lot of CGI stuff to make it work. Like, they would rebuild everything in CGI. Yeah, I'm wondering how much of the choice to incorporate that in... the Pretty much for the first time in this movie came from genuine technical limitations that made it difficult versus, I mean, the Wachowskis are just pretty revolutionary in everything they do (laughs) and they were just sort of genuinely the first ones to think about like what if we slowed it down to that scale it had been used before in like ads (laughs) like it wasn't necessarily a technical thing that was preventing it from being used at all the way they did it was definitely very technically demanding like like i said they did a lot of rebuilding in cgi to make things work uh and look the way that they wanted it to but it was more just that they thought it was a cool feature to use in an action movie, and no one had really done it, so... <laughs> there's there's a lot of really cool stuff the Wachowskis have done. I mean, honestly, if you haven't seen Speed Racer, it's really I bad, haven't. but <laughs> there's some really interesting stuff in that movie. <laughs> it's it's definitely one of like the most visually striking movies I've seen. What percentage of this movie do you think was in slow motion? <laughs> Still less than a lot of modern movies. Like, like two? <laughs> I don't think there's that much slow motion. I think it was just like, a couple of key scenes used it for like a, yeah. a second here or there. Yeah, I think it's more just the scenes that used it were really notable. Like mm. the scene where he, the scene where he dodges the bullets or where he fires a minigun into the office building. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think it's used pretty well. It's not overused as much as people want to remember it. It's just really memorable when they did use it. I'll say overall, I'd give it uh, eight. I'll give it an eight out of ten. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be different. We know what we think. We like the the Matrix a normal amount. <laughs> okay, well, that's a lot of Matrix talk. And we got some other stuff we got to get into. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with all the headlines. Folks, I'm beginning to notice that every time a director says anything negative about Marvel movies or any specific Marvel movie or any actor that's involved in a Marvel movie, basically anything, uh, the specific internet circles that I witness on a daily basis collectively throw a fit. Uh, It started with Scorsese, who we had to check back in with every couple of weeks to be like, hey, do you like Marvel movies now? And he was like, hey, not really. Um, (laughs) And He was like, I only like Shark Tale. (laughs) That's the only good movie. Uh, So Marvel movies, uh, I I guess it's like a self-deprecating behavior where like... like, if you're a Marvel fan, you need to understand that, like, there's 
a whole not even a whole other genre there's a whole every other genre that just like collectively doesn't necessarily like what you're into um but we seek this out for some reason and most recently this came from uh dune director dennis Villanueva, who said that uh marvel movies are too cut and paste for his uh his preference and as a big fan of Marvel movies and the MCU in general, I mean, yeah, he's absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. When I saw this originally, I was like, yeah, I don't agree, but also I do. Well, no, I absolutely agree. I just don't think it's as significant of a slight as he is suggesting, or specifically as Marvel fans pretend he is suggesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you can really talk about Marvel movies the same way you'd talk about other movies. Oh, absolutely because, not. Like, no. Yeah. There's no... 90% of the, the MCU has no depth to it. No. 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 Like, it's just action movies with character, like famous superhero characters, and there's really nothing to say about them <laughs> beyond that a lot of the yeah. time. And it's so much fan service. And, like, that's... That sounds like I am saying that they are bad movies. And that's not it at all. It's just that what at least I as a Marvel fan go to see a Marvel movie for is not the same thing that I go to see quote unquote real movies for. <laughs> like I am not going to I I am not going to the movies to like witness something that is going to change my views or open me up to something spectacular i am going because i want to see cool guy who is strong punch bad guy who is strong like i want to see ant-man talk about orange slices yeah like yeah i mean like if you're going to see an mcu movie you're not going because you're expecting to see you know something revolutionary (laughs) yeah you're you're not going to see the next 2001 as part of the mcu you're going to see Spider-Man doing Spider-Man stuff. Yeah. And that's all I want from it. And it's not to say that, like... It's all you need from it. It's not to say there are there are no, like, good moments in Marvel movies. Because I think almost all of them have at least a scene or two here and there, which are, like, the makings of genuinely good film. But, I mean, for the most part, they're just... I mean, they're they're just cool. Like, we're not watching them because they're yeah. substance. They're, I mean, they're they're cool. Like, I have never left a movie theater as, like, just sort of electrified as I did after seeing Endgame for the first time. And it's not because Endgame was some, like, brilliant movie. It was just, like, we got to see Captain America use the hammer. And, you know, they all the good guys came back to life. And, like, it's it's stuff like that. It's not... I don't know. Like, I think that, you know... Villanueva is totally right in what he's saying. I just I, I don't care. <laughs> I guess it's not that I don't care as much as like it doesn't change how I feel about Marvel movies. Well, let me tell you, I know one guy that did care. Famous director of one good movie, Neil Blomkamp, <laughs> responded to uh you know, Dennis's statements about the MCU to call him an effing a-hole. Woof. What movie did this guy direct? District 9. 
Ah, uh, yeah. He also directed uh, Elysium and Chappie, which are nowhere near as good as District 9. Yeah. Chappie was one of those movies where, like, as soon as I found out he was directing it, the only the only movie I had seen by him being District 9, which might have been his first movie, or his first big release, at least. I think so. But, like, least, I like District yeah. 9 so much that I was like, oh, Chappie's gonna be the best. And then it was so, so aggressively bad. Like... Not even, like, not even good to just get through once. Like, I've watched District 9 multiple times since it came out. I have not even, like, I have only vaguely even thought about Chappie since. District 9 was so good, and then Chappie was just a movie where they made me watch Die Antwoord or whatever. (laughs) Like, do garbage music and act like gangsters. Yeah. There were more bad decisions than... Uh, just saying some horrible, horrible things about my Cape Kino this week. And Chappie. <laughs> and Chappie. So, I don't know if you guys had even heard about this show before it was canceled, but... I didn't. <laughs> CBS had a, new, had a new competition show called The Activist, where, essentially, celebrities would come in and kind of pitch their ideas for charity type groups or events or actions they could take to help the world around them and essentially they were competing (laughs) to see like which ones would get funded and get the support that they needed and it's um it was a bad idea pretty much from the start i mean it was literally turning like well, one, it was taking wealthy people, uh, competing like against each other to see who can do like the most good with their money. But it was also just on this scale of like, how do we do this to be the best guy in this competition? Like e- everything about that. how how would you even decide who's doing the most good with the money? I, like. I, uh, it would require a much better person than anyone working at ABC or CBS or whatever to decide, like, that's a better use of money than this other charity. Dude, unless it's the Susan G. Coleman Foundation, <laughs> like... Yeah, it's... it's I, I just assume all charities are just about equally good. Yeah, it's just... Everything about this was such a bad idea, um, which Twitter users were pretty quick to point out pretty much since the show's official unveiling and uh now before even reaching its premiere of its first episode it has been officially canceled (laughs) the uh the entire series uh had already been filmed um and they had uh, my boy usher on as the host (laughs) um and oh it didn't get canceled no no cbs is far smarter than that instead of being a reality tv competition series they're turning it into a documentary about what? the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, no. They're changing it into a documentary about the creation of the show. Ah. That will no longer be aired. What? <laughs> Why? Interesting. Because they already spent the money. You don't just... I'm sure they'll also give a bunch of money to all the charities that the people worked with or whatever. Oh, absolutely. And, like... I can't wait to hear what, uh... 
Priyanka Chopra Jonas, Julianne Hugh, and Usher do in the next few months to make up for being in this show. Yeah. And, like, I'm sure that they were already planning on donating a bunch of money through this show in some capacity. I mean, way less than they were going to make from it, of course. But, like, like I'm not saying that there wasn't going to be literally any positive to come out of this. It's just, like... Everything about it was just so tasteless. Like, they should have known from the get-go this was not going to be well-received. Yeah, this is the most, like... This is totally out of touch. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've never seen something so obviously, like, a cash grab like this. We're, uh, like, literally turning activism into a game show. Yeah. How do you... How do you even think of doing something like that? Like, what is wrong with your mind where you're like, this would be a good idea for a show? And it's also, it's actively working against the same things that they're trying to promote. Because there's already this understanding across social media that activism is just SJW pandering and all this stuff. And things like this are only going to escalate those beliefs to an unheard of level. So... Yeah, one way or another, I'm glad that it's getting canceled. And I'm glad that CBS is still going to lose some money on this regardless. <laughs> Even if they still get it this back is... some through the documentary, that's still a loss, I'm sure. This is real late-stage capitalism crap. <laughs> like, thinking about it makes my head hurt. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about something simple, something light, something breezy. THQ Nordic, one of the... Celebrated their 10th birthday. Yeah, yeah. This company is Woo. an absolute staple of uh, my gaming background. No, no, no. So you're thinking of THQ. Sorry, yes. This is THQ yes, Nordic. Yes, yes. The company that, from my understanding, has no ties to the original THQ. Oh, interesting. Or maybe it's people that used to work at THQ. But they bought up all of the THQ licenses after THQ went out of business and just started their own THQ. But, uh, THQ... It's just such a wild yeah. story. THQ in one form was responsible for some of my all-time favorites as a kid. Um, uh, specifically, two incredibly dumb games in SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom, which recently got a remake... And the Destroy All Human series, which recently got a remake. And now, we're not only getting a, another Destroy All Humans remake, we're also getting a new SpongeBob SquarePants game, like, 15 years later or whatever. I'm... <laughs> I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I really enjoyed the SpongeBob SquarePants, like, the 3D platformers that they put out when we yeah. were young. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember the Spongebob Squarepants movie game pretty fondly, and I definitely remember Battle for Bikini Bottom. <laughs> Played that game so yeah. much. I'm also, I'm really excited for the Destroy All Humans 2 remake. Um, I didn't particularly care when they remade the first one, because I played it so much originally on the Xbox. But I did not play Destroy All Humans 2 on the <laughs> Xbox. <laughs> so this will be a whole new experience. Uh, part of me does want to dive back into that Destroy All Humans 1 remake just to see, like, how poorly that that weird, uh, crude bathroom humor style has aged. Because, like, there's no way it's good. And I'm sure they cut a ton of stuff from that game for the remake. Like, 
it's kind of funny. The main voice actor forgot how to do the voice for Crypto. Mm. <laughs> so if you hear, there's a lot of like old dialogue, but they also recorded some new stuff for the remake. And you can tell when it's new stuff because he sounds more like Invader Zim than Crypto. <laughs> yeah. He has a whole long name, like Cryptosporidium, and then whatever number, however many yeah. lives you've lost decided what number you yeah. were. <laughs> I did like how in fiction, when you died, the alien actually died and was replaced by a different alien. Like, I appreciated that above all else. <laughs> he also started with a pretty high yeah. number. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I had always assumed that he had died, like, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> They also announced the sequel to Outcast, which will just be called Outcast 2, but I'll be honest, I, I don't think I'd even heard of Outcast 1, so that's something. I was very confused when I read this at first, because I was thinking Outlast, and I was like, they already got a second one of those. Yeah. And I was thinking Jedi Outcast, <laughs> and I was like, I don't think THQ Nordic has the authority <laughs> to make that decision. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I just, saw, I just saw three games were announced. When I was Pants, the Cosmic Shake, Destroy All Humans 2 remake, and Outcast 2. And I have at least heard of, or I'm at least familiar with the concept for two of those. I have no idea what Outcast 2 is. Not going to look it up either. We're too far gone at this point. I think it's like an RPG. It seemed kind of vaguely like uh, it based on the one still image that I saw. <laughs> I think we both saw the same yeah. still image. So, uh, guy in like a space suit running around yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Spongebob was interesting because they didn't show any gameplay for it. No. And we also just... And it's not it's not like a remake or a sequel or anything. So the only reason I know that it's a 3D platformer is because the developers said it was. Speaking of Nickelodeon games, though, I want to talk about Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. Oh, yeah. Because they keep showing new characters and stuff like that for it. And I was telling Abby the other day... I'm very confused who this game is for. Oh, it's no one. <laughs> because it doesn't look very good. Like, I think it looks very ugly. Oh, yeah, very, very bad. <laughs> and it's a it's pretty obvious ripoff of Smash Brothers. So if you're interested in, like, Smash Brothers, you're probably playing the real one. <laughs> but then it has characters like Nigel Thornberry, Powdered Toastman, and Oblina from All Real Monsters. And it's like, why are they here? It, I don't know if my question is why are they here or why are characters from the Loud House also here? It's everything about this, like, it It seems like they're trying to a, appeal to too many different demographics, but they're not making a game that is good enough to appeal to any demographic. Like, other than maybe little kids, but, like, little kids will not care about Ren and Stimpy. Or, like, any of the Ah Real Monsters. Yeah, that's kind of my big thing, is, like, the only modern characters that I've seen in it are the characters from the Loud House. And I guess, arguably, I think there's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon going on right now. Yeah. And then SpongeBob is timeless for Nickelodeon. So. Yeah. But then the rest of them, you have Danny Phantom, Invader Zim, Helga from Hey Arnold, like, <laughs> Reptar from the Rugrats. Like, Jackson has no idea who these people are. <laughs> I know who they are. I just haven't watched any of the shows they're in. Yeah, like... 
Also, you know who they are because we've talked about them. <laughs> also, some things to point out in this. Something that I actually really appreciate. Um, so, like you mentioned before, Helga from Hey Arnold. You know who is not in this game? Is Hey Arnold not Arnold. in this? Arnold is not in this game. <laughs> or at least hasn't been announced yeah, yet. But it also seems like we're getting close. I feel like... I mean, I'm sure there will be some hidden characters that won't be announced before the game is released. I mean, they just announced Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, and they're like... And they announced Powdered Toast Man when they announced the game. Yeah, so. there's not a lot of consistency there. Who even is Powdered Toast Man? He's a Ren and Stimpy He's from character. Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> ah. Yeah. I honestly... I, I haven't seen much Ren and Stimpy. My dad would let me watch it when I was little, so I didn't see any of it. Some things... And then it was off the air by the time I could have watched it, yeah. you know, on my own. <laughs> Something interesting, though, uh, looking at the game's cover art, uh, you you got SpongeBob, Cat Dog, Ren and Stimpy, both of the avatars, um, and then Powdered Toast Man is there. Uh, you, it seems like only one of the Ninja Turtles is in this, but April O'Neil. No, they're they're all four oh, in okay. it. Okay. Only Leonardo is yeah. on the cover of the game, but April O'Neil is. Um, yeah, we got Reptar, but none of the Rugrats. But that actually kind of tracks. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they want to have a game where you beat up literal yeah. babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming that the the Loud House kids will probably be the youngest in the game, and they're, I don't know, middle school maybe. I've only seen like one episode of the show. <laughs> Well, it's more just interesting that they're the only modern cartoon in the yeah. game so far. Yeah. Because, like, the Ninja Turtles are in it, but it looks like they're based off the movies from the 80s. Yeah, that's the closest I can tell. April's, April's design Or at is least definitely... the cartoon from the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest of the characters look bad. <laughs> I mean, they all look kind of bad. <laughs> I think a lot... I'll, I'll be honest. I think most of them look fine danny phantom looks awful it's weird seeing some of these 2d characters as 3d but like we've seen 3d danny phantom before we have they've made they've made previous nickelodeon like nicktoons games and he was in one or two of them i haven't seen 3d danny phantom before so this was very off-putting for me it's just an interesting game um one of us should probably oh, get absolutely. it, but I don't think it's enough that we should all get it. Oh, and we won't we won't get too far into it on the podcast or anything. I will absolutely be playing this game though. <laughs> like there is not even a chance I pass on this one. This is the Smash Bros killer we've all been waiting yeah. for. Also, the gameplay is it's not just a Smash clone. It's like one for one Smash Brothers. <laughs> Like, it's it's wild just how far they have gone to make it just like Smash Brothers. Like, really, the only difference is there are no traditional Smash attacks, but the way that the moves work and the way that the characters react to each other is almost identical to Smash Brothers. And it's, it even has, like, you deal damage, a percentage goes up, and you knock them off the stage at higher percentages. Like, everything about it's the same. I was going to ask if Cow and Chicken were in it, but then I remember that's Cartoon Network. They should be. I'd like to see. When we get in that Cartoon Network, nah, all they, they pull draw. like an All Real Monsters. It doesn't have Cow and Chicken, but it does have IR Baboon. <laughs> yeah. It has the mom from Cow and Chicken. 
No, Cartoon Network did their own. Yeah, I'm slowly piecing it together in my head. Oh, they did. It. I remember yeah, a few years ago. I remember a fighting game where you could be the Powerpuff Girls, and I want to think like Flapjack was in it. It was Punch Time Explosion. Yes, there we go. Huh. And it it had it had a lot. It also had a very but it was very bad. It also had a very weird roster. I'm looking at the 3DS cover art, and for some reason, the people that they show on it are Samurai Jack, Chowder, Bloof, um, Buttercup, Ben Ten, Flapjack, Grim, and Dexter. The the interesting one on this game. I'm looking at the roster now. Um, I mean, it was. Most of the part, it was the ones you would expect. It was basically just all of the big cartoons at the time. But we also got Johnny Bravo, which is wild. Um, Johnny Bravo would be canceled in real life. Um, Good. We got three (laughs) characters from Samurai Jack and Captain Planet. It's also... (laughs) The two characters from Dexter's Laboratory are Dexter and the monkey. (laughs) <laughs> uh, what a show! The Xbox cover, the Xbox 360 cover art for this is wild. <laughs> it's just very, very poor animation for some of the characters. We should have like an episode where we just look at all of these, all of the really bad fighting games like Smash yeah. clones. So I assume Ben Ten would play like Pokemon Trainer, right? No, 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 because he turns into them. Well, yeah, but, like, you'd have, like, three you switch between, I mean. Probably something like that. It did explicitly have Ben and young Ben as separate characters, so I want to know what that was about. Hmm. Well, one of them was voiced by Spider-Man, and the other one was voiced by Tara Strong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's probably enough, talking about cartoon fighting games for Yeah, the I'm not sure 100% of that's making Maybe it in either way. I think it should all go in, including the part where I say maybe we should do an episode on blank. Actually, let's just leave this entire episode about the cartoon fighting games. <laughs> Cut the Matrix. No Matrix. Okay, well, next headline. Toby Fox. One of the heavy hitters in the video game world over the last several years. He gave us Undertale and kind of kind of faded away for a bit there. Working on... I think he beat Sakurai in a fight or yeah. something. He went to Sakurai's house and beat him up. Uh, and then... Uh, and then we got Sans in Smash yep, Brothers. Yep. Um, I think... I would imagine it was a threat. He probably beat up uh, Sakurai and then was like, if you don't put Sans in, I'm coming back for more. <laughs> and, if you don't put Sans in and Megalovania. Yeah. Which every time they announce a new, like costume i get kind of sad that they're not adding new music yeah because that was honestly that was a better addition than the character was in my mind but we he sort of uh you know faded not into obscurity but he he wasn't in the limelight for a bit there and then surprise released delta rune chapter one back in 2018 to Clearly not as big of a following as Undertale, but it was one that, you know, had a lot of critical success. A lot of people were playing it, um, you know. 
I think it's a prequel to Undertale. Yeah, it's it's in the it's in the Undertale universe, which is something people are really clamoring for more of. Um, also, just uh, a temperature check on this. Have y'all played Undertale? Nah. I've played half of Undertale. It is a very good game. Like, I thought for sure, based on what I had seen of it, that people were blowing it out of proportions. But it is genuinely, like, a great game. It's short. Like, you can beat it in, like... I, I beat it in, like, two sittings. But, like, it is... Hot take alert. <laughs> Undertale good. But, like, it is, like, genuinely... <laughs> Like, I wouldn't say it's this absolute masterpiece the internet made it out to be, but, like, truly a great game. And you can get it for, like, I don't know, a, a couple of bucks on any console imaginable. Um, it's some... And Megalovania is an absolute thing. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, yeah. But... Naturally, one of my friends who played saxophone in band did know how to play it. I think it's illegal to be a band kid and not know how to play that. <laughs> I could see that being like, like in you know when I was when I was in high school, everybody was playing like the Mortal Kombat and or the Tetris theme because I I can't tell them apart to be totally honest. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I I think that this this could be the next one of those. But regardless, we're getting more Toby Fox. Deltarune Chapter 1 came out in 2018, and then we didn't hear much else for a couple of years. But he just surprised released Deltarune Chapter 2, and it's free for everybody. Because it's been a tough year, y'all. Oh, yeah. People download went and downloaded it so quickly that they actually crashed uh, itch.io. Ah. Which is just, it's a big indie game distribution website. Yeah. So, like... It's definitely cool to see Toby Fox back in back in the video game arena. Uh, he now has an entire team that works with him on the game, so I suspect we will probably not see as long of a turnaround on Chapter 3 as we did on Chapter 2, um, and it is one that I plan to go and check out pretty much as soon as we're, we're done recording this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, our last headline of the episode is something that... I, I have not been able to pin down, and I, I don't even believe this is actually true because um, we still got like two weeks for it to go wrong. But Venom 2 has officially moved its release date again, but this time it's been moved forward two weeks. So now Venom 2 is set to come out on October 1st. Wouldn't that be moved backwards? True, I guess. <laughs> it was moved. <laughs> I guess the flow of time, yes. It was moved. <laughs> it was moved backwards through time. Uh, it It is now set for... I just feel bad for all those people that are currently experiencing October 2nd that didn't get to see Venom until the 15th because the delay didn't happen yet. <laughs> uh, my head already hurts. I don't need this. <laughs> <laughs> but what's funny about this one is that, like a lot of movies that have come out this year, it was originally scheduled to come out last year. Um, it was set for June 2020 to begin with. They were hopeful that by the end of the summer that the pandemic would be over. Um, it, they were off by a little bit. Uh, <laughs> they were yeah, wrong. Um, it pushed to October 2020. It And then it still wasn't over. Yeah. 
and then they pushed it to June 21, and it still wasn't over. And they pushed it to September, it still wasn't over. So then they pushed it to October and just said, we're doing it either way. Yeah, and it's also, it's funny because it was pushed to October 15th. And people were immediately like, wow, that's wild that it's opening on the same night as a big horror movie. They, they should really change that or they're going to lose money. Um, and so they did. And uh, I'm not sure that this this date is necessarily any better because now it's going to be competing with... Oh, shoot. What was that movie? <laughs> it's now... Truth or dare It's two. now going to be competing with The <laughs> Addams Family 2, which Ooh. If, you, if it was me and I went to the theaters and they were like, hello, do you want a ticket for Venom 2 or The Addams Family 2? Because that's how ticket sales go. I would, I would, there'd be a pause. I mean, I love, I love Venom and my boy Carnage, but the Adams family's there. It's also opening the same hey, night as the Many Saints of just Newark. Just a reminder, <laughs> just a reminder that, uh, you remember who's playing Carnage, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Woody Harrelson. <laughs> and based on the ending of the first Venom movie... He's going to be awful. <laughs> I don't remember how the movie ended. <laughs> I mean, it just showed him like in a jail cell laughing or something. Oh, and he yeah. said, like, there's going to be carnage or something dumb like that. He said, I'm Woody Harrelson. I was great in Now You See Me or something. <laughs> I don't know. He was, I guess he was good in something. He's got to be this big for a reason. I've lived my entire life in a post-Woody Harrelson world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just funny that it is now opening on the same night as Adam's Family, The Many Saints of Newark, Witch Hunt, and The Guilty, which, like, none of those are especially big movies. I guess the exception being The Many Saints of Newark, which is... I, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about this movie, but I think... I'm sure it's one that a lot of people are going to see, but... It's tied to Sopranos, yeah, it's, so you know it's pretty but, big. Like, it just seems weird that it's it's moved to here. I'm. I don't think Adam's family's too much. To no, worry not about at all. Because I've heard the first one described as a travesty. <laughs> I heard the first one described as it was all right. That was uh, from an 18 year old who took a toddler to see it. So like, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Venom. Maybe in this movie they'll finally understand that like Wednesday Adams is everyone's favorite, but like we don't want the whole movie to be about Wednesday Adams. We don't. There's a whole family. We don't need a whole Wednesday Adams movie, even though we're getting one. Or maybe it's a TV show. I think it's a movie. I don't remember. So, look. All I know is I'm excited for the credits of Venom Two. That way we get the hit sequel to the hit released by Eminem, Venom. Venom 2. Where he'll sing, Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. It's Venom 2, Venom two Let, let there, there Be, be carnage. carnage. Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. <laughs> <sighs> but all this just to say Venom 2 is coming out on October 1st. And... Honestly, just keeping up with the release dates has been exhausting enough that I don't care about the movie anymore. 
I, I, I will still tell. see it at some point. Um, and honestly, they they also said this week <laughs> that it's going to only be ninety minutes long. So like, I'm kind of back in on that. Like, that might be a good decision for superhero movies just for a bit. <laughs> I guess you could say that it, it's it's uh, it's release date was was moving around. I, I guess you could say it was moving around like like a turd in the wind. <laughs> You you remember from the movie Venom? <laughs> <sighs> I can, Andy Serkis is directing this movie. Have we talked about that at no, all? But I can tell I never cared about this movie because I thought its original release date was September 2021. <laughs> there was three others before that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this is the first time that I'm pulling the plug more out of exhaustion than out of a need to end the episode. <laughs> So let's pull the plug. Jackson, what is something you've been into this week? I've been mostly been spending this week talking about a game that we're going to talk about on another episode. So, <laughs> yeah. What am I going to uh ah, uh in my astronomy class, we watched Interstellar. And that was my first time seeing the movie. And we watched this over like three days which meant i only watched about an hour every 24 hours um it's the it way that good. christopher nolan intended the film to be seen yeah i i i plan on watching this again whenever i have the time because <laughs> like it was good but i feel like a lot of it was lost on me considering i spent 24 hours between each hour of the movie i watched <laughs> i have to assume that you missed something or, like, you weren't oh, yeah. watching it the best way when you said that Matt Damon's part of the movie was the worst part. <laughs> like I said, I didn't Have think Have you it seen was everything bad. that comes after the Matt Damon part? <laughs> like I said, I didn't think it was bad. I just thought it didn't fit. But also, I came back to that part after not watching the movie for 24 hours. <laughs> so I need His to watch it again. His name is Hugh Man. <laughs> Now that's human. That's good writing. <laughs> uh, what you been doing, Jason? <laughs> this week, I sat down with Abby and we watched the hit movie Heather's, starring Winona Ryder and Kristen Slater and a bunch of other people who I I don't know the names of. It was pretty good, honestly. Um, it was it was really funny in some scenes. It was just kind of like super ridiculous. I don't know how much I want to get into it because I don't know if you guys have seen it. I have. I have not. But it, it was a pretty good movie, and I I thoroughly enjoyed sitting through it. Um, I felt bad for Kristen Slater because I realized that he's looked like that his whole life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for some reason uh i put this movie in the same place in my head as clueless and they're both movies that i really really like but i feel like there's a stigma that i have to pretend they're bad movies for some reason and i don't know why that is i mean i guess because is it because i think people assume they're chick flicks yeah yeah and i mean like i guess in some in some merits they are but they're not like there's a lot more to it than just like a generic romance story. What is there to it? As I've not seen it, so I don't know. I think you should just watch it, but 
in Heathers, they they start they they kill a bunch of people. Interesting. Yeah, I don't want to get too into it because it's kind of a twist type thing. It's uh, I believe it's on Hulu, maybe <laughs> or maybe Netflix. I don't know. It's on one of those streaming services that those kids use these days. So just look for it, and I'm sure you'll find it. Is it on TikTok Plus? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that you can find plenty of girls that look exactly like Winona Ryder in this movie on TikTok Plus. <laughs> I think there's a new musical or something, like a new musical version coming to Broadway or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Abby mentioned that. I think it's already out, and she's already seen it. She said it's pretty good, or at least it was something. Um, <laughs> I don't know. She was telling me while we were watching the movie, and I was watching the movie, so who knows? I had to pick one to listen to, and I just ended up not listening to either, if I'm honest. <laughs> but that's it for me. Jordan, what you been up to? Well, I'm kind of in the same camp as Jackson, because... You watched Interstellar? Yeah, yeah in class. Um, there, you know, I've been real into. He was the he was the yeah. teacher. <gasps> I've been real. He was the TV that they wheeled into the room. <laughs> yeah. What I've really been into this week is something that we're going to talk extensively about next week. So, like, I gotta hold off, but it's taken up most of my time. So, uh. Looking around the room for any kind of inspiration. Fortnite? There we go. That's what it is. Fortnite. They kicked off a new season this week. And um, it's very strange because the theme is cubes or cubed or something to that effect. Again? And I guess... Cube. I guess if you've been playing the game like since the beginning, that means something. And, like, the cube iconography is, like, significant in some way. But even, like, looking up the lore, I, I don't really get how this merited its own season. Um, okay, so last time I really played Fortnite was right before the cube was really doing a whole lot of stuff. So so I can, I can definitely sum this up. So there was this cube uh, named Kevin that's not a joke. It uh, rolled around the island, went into a lake turned the lake purple then make then made the lake house that's on an island in that lake rise and float and then that exploded and there was a butterfly for some reason i think butterfly effect stuff then there was a giant vault under that lake and people got to choose what item to unvault from the game okay that was a lot um yeah hey i have a question where does um where does Ariana Grande fit into all this? Uh, I guess, well, considering that happened last season with the aliens, which are the ones that brought the cube, I'd, I'd assume she also is one of the aliens. I do think, canonically, she's an alien in the Fortnite universe. I didn't watch Dang. the concert or anything, but I do Me think either. like she straight up came in the same way the aliens did. Like, I, I think that's actually a thing. <laughs> I have a question. Where does Travis Scott fit into all this? Uh, he's just like an he's like an interdimensional traveler. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd say that's probably it. Uh, none. Of I it, think he was also a giant. I don't really remember. None, none of it. Okay, one more question. 
Where does the Emperor from Star Wars fit into all of this? Oh, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Everything everything that happened in the Star Wars movies <laughs> just is canon with the main timeline of Fortnite. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've been playing a little bit of this season. It's only been going for like a week, maybe two weeks now. And um, it's real weird. They've restructured the quest in a way that I don't quite understand like i or i get i get mechanically how they work it's just a weird decision that i don't think people are going to necessarily love as like a whole season long thing but you know it's still a it's it's not a bad game but i did kind of realize while i was playing it this week that it's really not fortnite battle royale that i like it's that it's adjacent to something that i think i would really like because I think there's a PvE-centric game there that could be good, but Fortnite Save the World mode is not at all. Like, Yeah, I just find it funny that you're just like, I think the thing that would make Fortnite good was not the Battle Royale, but the, the PvE stuff. Yeah, like if they could get, if they could get a PvE game that had... The just immense level of support that their battle royale mode has, I think it would be really, really good. Like if they could do cross promotions with like superheroes and stuff in a PVE centric game mode, still like open world and less of this like complicated mission progression system that Save the World had. Like I think it would be like a truly excellent game, but instead it's a battle royale. And like I don't hate it, but I I don't love it. <laughs> I just like the cool characters, and I, I like the style of the game a lot. <laughs> so, you know. The last time I played, I didn't... I Sorry, I ran into one actual person, and then I got killed by a robot NPC. <laughs> I beat the person, but the robot was scary. They had better aim, and they didn't get bored when I hid. Fork knife. Where does Marshmallow fit in? <laughs> He does. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. Oh. Okay. Is he the one, the the main plot hole? <laughs> He's the one. Just like from the Matrix. <laughs> uh. I was going to make a Matrix joke when you said most excellent a minute ago. <laughs> Have they added Neo to Fortnite yet? They added John Wick. That's, that's got to be coming, right? That's just, yeah, That that is just Neo with more hair. If they were to do a Matrix 4 skin in the game, it would just straight up be the John Wick skin. <laughs> I imagine that they'll do like a young one. I could, I could see that. Uh, when, when the new Matrix comes yeah. out. With just him like in a black t-shirt or something. Or maybe they'll do the trench yeah. coat. I just don't like hearing the Matrix 4 skin. <laughs> you didn't Not have a to fan. <laughs> It's the same problem that I had the entire time playing the Avengers game. <laughs> Anytime there would be an, an interesting <laughs> oh, skin yeah. in the shop for the character Thor, I would have to really choose my words carefully. <laughs> well, luckily there were no good uh, skins for Thor in that. That's true. That's true. All the good suits went to Captain America and Iron Man. Yep. Too true. And then eight col- eight color swaps of each one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast.
if you'd like to reach out to us, we have a whole bunch of ways you can do that. On Twitter, at TBMcast. On Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. You can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Or you can check out our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia, which we may or may not go back to in the future. But please reach out however you feel. Uh, send us your reviews or your suggestions for the show or criticisms of everything that we do. Whatever you're thinking, let us know. and We'll be happy to... to to um what's the word we'll be happy to en- respond we'll be happy to engage however we reasonably can but for the totally you can uh... oh, we got a message we got a message on the official uh gmail it's from michael ratch Rashid. it says proposal Dear friends, I write to inform you about a business proposal I have, which I would, uh, new line, like to handle with you. $50 million is involved, but rest assured that everything is legal and and risk-free. Kindly indicate your interest. I don't like it. (laughs) I I was going to say to check out our TikTok page where we make no posts, and while going to look at what our at was, which is at Totally Buys Media... Um, I found out that this account has not been interacted with in so long that it automatically signed out on my phone. <laughs> nice. Okay, well, all that just to say, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. It's all right.